I was wondering, are you talking? Um, I'm not going to, we're not going to get to Shmona Esrei before, but next week in Hashem, I hope to talk about, about preparing something for the davening for Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so I guess some of you have this. Judy, I don't remember, you weren't here last week, were you? So, you, no, you weren't here last week. <clears throat> I, I wasn't? Week before. I wasn't here last week? No. Oh, that was the first day of school. Yeah, oh, I wasn't here. So okay. Yeah, they're attached. I'm partially blind. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about MS Vyatsiv. This is the paragraph that follows Shema in Shachris. And which is attached to Shema. So that we say Hashem Elokechem, which is the Ani Hashem Elokechem, which is the end of the verse and the end of Shema. But we immediately say Emes. Hashem Elokechem, Emes Vyatsiv Enachot. So we've spent already a few, we had a few sessions on this topic already, but we're continuing on. And I believe that where we ended last time, um, we spoke, well, last time we spoke about the idea of Masao Matan with Hashem, and that that makes an assumption that Hashem is interested in what we have to say. Mm -hmm. And in a Masao Matan, in any kind of negotiation or dialogue, it means that each, each party cares about what they have and what the other has. And that was, that was kind of what we talked about. But two times ago, I think we introduced the idea that in Shachris we say, Hashem Elokeichem emes ve'atziv v'nachon v'kayam. But in Ma'ariv we say, emes ve'emuna kolzos. And we talked about the idea that it's lahagid baboker chastecha ve'emunascha balelos. That at night it's emuna, it's faith, meaning, and we talked about what faith means. It doesn't mean faith the way the word faith is in English, that you kind of blindly believe in something. Emuna, as Rabbi Hirsch uh, defines it, is where you allow what you already know to change your actions. So you change your behavior based upon what you know to be reliable and true. And this way, even though you don't happen to see it at that moment, but you continue to behave in that way, knowing that God will come through. Because he has come through in the past, he will come through in the future. That's the idea of emunah. Okay, so this introduces us into a new way of looking at this whole paragraph. Previously, what we're doing is looking at two different paragraphs, one in the daytime. In the daytime, it's the morning, we can see, and so we're declaring. And at nighttime, where the focus is, it's MS, but it's also emuna. Um, Rav Schwab takes an approach which says like this. I'm trying to remember if we read that Rav Schwab inside. I think we might have. With Ani Hashem Elokechem. He had asked the question. The last verse of Shema says, Ani Hashem Elokechem, Asher Hotez Yeschem Eretz Mitzrayim Lio Slochem Lelokim, Ani Hashem Elokechem. So, I'm just going to close the start. So the Pasuk says Ani Hashem Elokechem twice in the same Pasuk. And he said this is because Hashem is our God, meaning he is per interested in us personally, both revealed times and not revealed times. Begalui uvenistar. Uvehester would be more correct. Okay, so that's time, and he compared it to the time of Mordechai and Esther. That's an example of Hashem being there for us and interested and taking an active role in our affairs, but in a hidden way, versus taking us out of Mitzrayim which is a 
a much more public display of God's interest and involvement in our lives. Okay, so this is where, uh, I believe this is a Chiddush of Rav Schwab. It's really quite astonishing. Sorry. Okay, he says like this. He says there are 16 words. There were, there were 15 vavs that were connectors. And Abu Darham said it's 15 vavs, and they correspond to the 15 steps in the temple and the 15 stages in the Pesach Haggadah, and it corresponds to the 15 Shir Hamaloses. Oh, it's, it's a set of 15, and it's intentional. Rav Schwab says, yes, it's 15 vavs, and it's 16 words, because they're all with vavs connecting. Which means that if you start with MS, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I actually numbered them on one version of this and then <laughs> took out the numbering afterward, that the 16 words are really, you can look at them as pairs. He says it's MS v'yatsiv, v'nachon v'kayam, v'yashar v'neeman, v'ahu v'chaviv, v'nechmad v'naim, v'nora v'adir, u'metukan u'mukubal, v'tov v'yafeh. Why is it eight pairs? He says, first of all, that's because we are, we're trailing the tzitzis. And the tzitzis is eight strands, and every strand has to be made, it's twisted of at least two threads. So this is a, it's continuing out the, uh, the, the structure of the tzitzis into this paragraph. And that this is intentional. Sits at our eight strands? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But this is, that's, that's an aside. It's, it's nice. I mean, it's probably more than nice, but it's nice. But here's the direction that, okay. He says, really, each pair of words is an affirmation of Ani Hashem Elokechem, both hidden and revealed or perhaps we could say revealed and hidden, because that's what it's following, right? Like that, it's a stack. So let's, if you want, if you, if everyone has their sheets, we can see how he pairs them together. He says, it's true, and yatsiv also means it's true in Aramaic. And he says, what that shows you is, and remember, the people spoke Aramaic at the time, right? Because Emes V'yatsiv is written during Galus Bavel. So that was the common language. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Emes V'yatsiv, in other words, he is, he is our God who is actively involved in our lives when it's Emes, when it's in Lashem Kodesh, when we're the Jewish people and everything is open and we're successful and we have our Beis HaMikdash, the Yatsiv. And it's true as well in Aramaic, when we're living in Gaulis, when we're in Bavel. What does Yatsiv? It means, well, okay, Yatsiv, we, we talked about it in other contexts. Yatsiv means stable. It's on a firm foundation. But Yatsiv also means emes in Aramaic. Now that's really obvious to people whose maybe even mother tongue was Aramaic. It seems that the Jews, even after only 70 years in Bavel, their main language was Aramaic. That was the language they understood most easily. And they continue to speak Aramaic. They, 
they continued to speak Aramaic was the common language, yeah. Which is why the Talmud is also, yeah, even the Talmud Yerushalmi is, I think, mostly written in Aramaic. They spoke a blend. I mean, their, their grandparents had spoken Hebrew. So there was a blend of Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, according to one of my sons, the closest to that, the, that dialect of Aramaic that still exists is what the Kurds speak. The Kurdish, it's not really Arabic, apparently. What they speak is a form of Aramaic that's not so different from the dialect of the Talmud. So it's always a source of entertainment to Talmud students if they get a Kurdish taxi driver because you can try and talk to them. Like. <laughs> so even the Talmud above uh, Yerushalmi was written I think so, I think so. I, I don't think I have a Yerushalmi here, but we could look it up. Yeah. That was the common language. That's why you have things like in the Haggadah. You have many things, Kaddish, you know. They're written in Aramaic because that's what people understood. Um, Aramaic is considered to be a... It's one of the Meshubash forms of Hebrew. It's not very different from Hebrew, which is why if you look at um, like a Targum Unklos in the side of a Chumash, so if you don't know what a word means... Even if you don't speak Aramaic, you can look at the word in the Targum, and it's often built on a different but related Hebrew root. And so then you recognize the root word in the Aramaic, and then, oh, that tells you more or less what it meant in Hebrew. Okay, v'nachon v'kayam. Nachon, it is, okay, nachon, oh, we actually could do a whole shir on nachon if we wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> nachon means it is established. It's related, it's to the word Cain, yes. But Cain doesn't mean yes. Cain means it is so. That's how it is. Hello. Means that's how it is. So, for example, in Chomish, in Bereshis, there are, I don't know, I think we found at least three times where Hashem creates something in the creation and says, Vayihi Cain, and it was so. Okay. Um, it's also related to to the word kavana, meaning direction or kivun, and to ken, meaning a pedestal. A ken is where you have a stand. So it's something that. Kan. A, a kan, that's how you ken. say it? Kan, ken? ken. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have. It's funny because you de- I'm pretty sure you have a navi, a ken, on the kior. Okay, so it's a kan. So this is a pedestal. It's something that you, it gives a firm base to something else to stand up and be raised and elevated. And so. That's kaf vav? Kaf, kaf nun. Kaf, yeah. What about shaloha ken? That's a total That's with a kuf. That's with a kuf. That's a nest. Yes. I just learned that likhanin uh, in programming means to nest functions within one another. That's cute. Oh, it's cute. There's a lot of cute words. Likampel is to compile your Sorry? Das. das. Right, no, but that's, these are words that are taken from the English, right? Okay, big to debug. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, so when we say something is nachon, in, in the Torah language of nachon, which isn't necessarily the way people use it now, means, according to Rav Hirsch, it means a description of something as it is. And as it is experienced by us, as we see it in our environment, that's v'nachon. So you can see how v'nachon is more revealed because nachon refers to something as it is in the environment as we experience it. So Rav Hirsch uses that to show a distinction 
between the places in Bereshis where it says Vayihichen and places where it doesn't say Vayihichen. So it doesn't say Vayihichen in the creation of the animals and the birds. Why? Because they aren't necessarily exactly as we see them now. Not everything as it was created even still exists. There are changes. The Gemara says Nishtana Hateva, right? Things can change in nature. So you have things, you know, I know we've given this example in the past where in the time of the Gemara, they talk about a cow, I'm trying to remember, I think they say that a cow can't give birth till it's two years old. Now, any farmer now will tell you cows can give birth when they're one year old. Apparently, this is something that changed. Okay, because in the time of the Gemara, people had plenty of exposure to cows, more than they do now, right? The average rabbi now maybe doesn't know so much about cows. But a rabbi in the time of the Gemara knew about cows. You have one in the backyard. You have them down the street. Like, this is something that it's very easy to know. And if you made a mistake and said the wrong thing, then just like the rest of the Gemara is full of this one says this and the other one says, no, it isn't that way. You think nobody would have said, excuse me, you're wrong. Cows cannot are not mature so late, you know. Of course they would have said it. So it seems clear that somehow cows have been maturing earlier over a long time. This isn't the problem. You just have to be aware of the fact that it might be different and what are the implications? Is this something that changes because of that? Not. So Nachon didn't refer to the animals, but Nachon does refer to the vegetation and to the firmament and to the gathering of the waters. These things are described as Vayihichen, because they were created in the time of Bereshis, and they still are an apt description of the world that we see and experience. Vekayam. Vekayam means it's enduring. We spent some time on the word kayam when we did Baruch Sha'amar, but that's many years ago now. Okay, so nachon meaning clear and apparent. This is gilu ishchina. Kayam, enduring, long-lasting. That's Hester Panim, hanging in there. Okay. I'm sorry, and Emmet Yatsiv. Emmet is what we, what we is, revealed. is revealed. Yatsiv, because it's an Aramaic, he's saying. You could, you could say it for other reasons. Yatsiv is something that it stands, it keeps going. You could say it like Kayam, but the idea being, right, do you need another one of those pages? There might be. Here we go. That's another set. No, that's not another set. That's something else. Okay, I'm not sure where they are. Okay. Sorry. It should be here somewhere. Yashar fair. Yashar is straight. So it's uh, everything. It's fair. It's above board. It's clear that nothing is hidden or right. And neeman faithful. When something is yashar, mm. nobody has a question about is this fair or not. It's fair, meaning it's clearly straight. Things have, aren't off balance. Ne'eman is faithfulness. It means we know it's true. We're relying on it even when we can't see it. So right now it doesn't always look like things are so fair. But we could deal with that because we trust in God being faithful. So we know that even if things don't seem totally balanced in the world as we see them, that wicked people seem to thrive and there are righteous people who are struggling, but we understand that it really is fair. So this is, again, Gilui versus Hester. Ve'ahuv ve'chaviv. Beloved, and he translates chaviv as cherished, which I see is also the translation they used in the art scroll. He says, ahava is something that is overwhelming. It's a feeling that just fills you all at once, a feeling of love. But the chaviv, hang on one second, oh, he has quite a long 
side point on the Ahava. Chaviv is something that you love, and, and the word English that he chose was cherished, meaning it's not that it's right in front of you and you are overwhelmed with the feeling of love, but it's something that you hold in your heart over a period of time, almost like a memory of the love that you had. Not that the love is gone, but that overwhelming experience of falling in love with God, that's something we cherish. We remember how wonderful it was, but not that we're experiencing it in the moment. Again, revealed and hidden. I really, I was so blown away by this insight that he has to, to see them this way and how that is a perfect follow-on to the previous paragraph. It's really, v'nechmad, delightful, v'naim, and pleasant. So chemda, nechmad is delightful, but chemda is a craving to be close. It's a, it's a yearning to be close. It's, a, it's delightful, but it also suggests a, a desire for delight. Naim is pleasant, but it doesn't have the urgency of the chemda in it, for the same reason, because it isn't revealed. Nora the adir. Nora is awesome, right? Now, awesome, nora, that's related to the word lirot, to see, right? Bahar hashemira. <laughs> Nora is something that's only directly experienced causes the feeling of Nora to such a powerful extent. And Adir is mighty. It's nice. It's, it's big and it's strong and it's powerful. But it doesn't suggest the emotional impact that the Nora has. Misukan umekubal. Misukan. So he corrects this as like this. Correct and accepted. Mekubal means accepted. Means lekabel, right? Mekubal means I I'm accepting it into myself. The action is on the part of the receiver. So that's the accepting. Misukan means like repaired, fixed. So he calls it correct. But it's an interesting, okay. So here's how he describes it. He says, in times of Gilui Shechina, the truth of the Torah is evident from the text itself. You look in the Torah, and you can see everything in the Torah because God's Shechina is revealed even within the Torah itself, which makes sense. Shechina is a result of revelation, but he's saying it's more than that. The Shechina is revealed within the Torah, and therefore every, every dotted I and cross T of the halacha is apparent within the words of the Torah Shebikhtav alone. Mikubal, accepting. Accepting means that there are things which are not clear and obvious to us straight in the verse of the Pasuk, so somebody has to explain it to us. The Chachamim have to explain to us. Chachamim meaning here the Chazal, right? Chachamenu zichronam livrach always means Chazal. So we're talking at the end of the second temple period, more or less, um, and a little bit afterward. And we, it's Mekubal, we accept it. But we don't accept it because we see it necessarily. We may or may not see it in the text. Usually, Chazal go to great effort to show us where something is found in the text. And we know that Or Chaim said that Amelus Batora means the process of finding how everything in Torah Shabbat is hinted to in Torah Shabbat. But it means that there's things that you don't see it that way. So that's Mikubal. Then you have to accept it because you don't see it yourself. Hadavar Hazeh Alinu Leolam This is all, oh, sorry, I skipped Vitovi Yafet. 
It is good. An extra vav here? An extra vav? What's the extra one? Well, there was a vav before tov. Yes, vitoviafe, every one of them, yeah. Vitoviafe, good and beautiful. So good, this is when we can see that everything is good, right? We've spent a lot of different times talking about good versus good versus bad, and really it's all good. That's the call. And yafe is superficial. It's beautiful, but it's not obvious that it's beautiful all the way through and through, the way that a tov is. Hadavar This thing, this idea that Hashem is ani Hashem elokechem, in the times when that's clear and obvious and shining like daylight, and in the times where it's dark and we don't see it and we have to trust on our memory of it or on our faith in it, this is true for us forever and ever. And this was the message sent back by the people of Gullus in Babel who had not come back to the rebuilding of the temple with Ezra. So that's um, definitely gives a very different way of reading Emes Vyatsiv and Achon. And it, it's a way that I think will be not so difficult to sometimes implement. It doesn't, just the fact that you see all the vavs linking them together itself reminds you, it reminds you already of the idea of what's behind it. And it seems to me that even if you didn't quite manage to stop and think about what each word meant, you would remember the idea behind it, which seemed to me like a very, very useful thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is a very, I, I thought this was a, a cool Torah from Rav David Cohen. That was in Rav Schwab? That was Rav Schwab. Okay. Now I'm going to go on to something from Rav David Cohen in Maseis Kapai. And I see I did not write down which volume it is, which is my, my mistake, because I would have to hunt it back. He doesn't write, he doesn't have on the pages which volume it is, and he often covers one topic and it spreads across eight or nine volumes because he thought of a new idea about that topic and it goes into the next volume. <laughs> Someday somebody's going to have to write a compiled work of Rav David Cohen so that it would just be one big fat, you know, but hopefully he'll keep living and keeping Mechadish new ideas, so we don't need to do that for a long time. Okay. All right. He is, well, okay. This is a very, it's, a, it's what sounds like a very esoteric question, and it is. But the answer, I think, is something that is applicable. He says, we have what appears to be a contradiction in the Gemaras. The Gemara and the, and the Meforshim on the Gemara say, in Chulin, Chavivim Yisrael lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yoser Mimalachei Hasharis, Sheyisrael Omrim Shira Bechol Sha'at. The Jewish people are beloved before God even more than the serving angels, ministering angels, Malachi Asharis, because the Jewish people sing Shira at all times, every hour. And you want to see a proof of the fact that the Jewish people are even more beloved than the Malachim. The Jewish people can say Hashem's name after only two words, because they say the Pasuk, Shema Yisrael, that's two words. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. So we have a Yichud Hashem, a unification of God's name, only after two words. That's all it takes us to get there. Umalachei Hashem. I never really noticed, you know. You think like that alone. You could stop right there. If you only heard that Gemara, you'd say, I had no idea that that was so important. Even no matter how important you know Shema is, 
to say that that alone has some has a meaning of the power and the importance and the belovedness of the, that's amazing. Malachi Hasharis, what about the Malachim? Ainmas Kirimas Hashem El Achar Shalosh Temos. They only mention the, the Yichud Hashem, the unification of God's name, after three words, as it says, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzavakos. Right? We, we bring this, it's brought in a few different places, right? We have it in Uvalatzion, and we have it in the Kedusha of the Shemona Esrei. Okay? Okay. So this is a, this is a Gemara. You can just come right here. Thank you so much. Hi, Mommy. You made it. On the other hand, in Parshas Hazinu, Moshe says, Kishem Hashem Ekra. Oi! So when Moshe says, Kishem Hashem Ekra, when I call out the name of Hashem, Havu Godel Elokeinu, may this bring greatness to God, which we say before Mincha and Meir, but not before Shachris. Hey, bless you. Pick up where we were, or wherever I thought we were, I don't know. Big gap in this, said 25. I'll write the note, maybe we can pull out the gap. Okay. So the first thing, the first point that he brought was a Gemara in Chulin, which said that the Jewish people are even more beloved than the Malachim, the Malachi Asharis. And you can see a reflection of that in that we have a Yichud Hashem after just the words Shema Yisrael, two words, and the Malachim after three words, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Okay. But now we have a, a, an apparently conflicting Sifri. The Sifri is the Medrash. The Sifri says on Kishem Hashem Moshe doesn't mention God's name until he has said 21 words. Which, you know, 21 is a very significant number, but we won't go into it here. But it's come up before. It's half of 42, and it's come up before. How did he learn? Who did he learn that from? Where did he get the idea? to only mention God's name. To mention God's name only after 21 words. He said he learned it from the Malachim. What? He learned it from the Malachim because they wait until they've said three words before they say God's name, meaning there's some sort of preparation, even in our speech, before we could say Hashem's name. And Moshe said, I think I, so to speak, I don't, I think I probably need at least seven times as much as a malach. That's how he got to 21. Now, I don't know exactly where he, that obviously means something, right? It means something very specific if he feels he needs seven times more than a malach. But he was saying, enough that I'll need seven times from what the malachim need. And so Moshe Rabbeinu took for himself the statement of the Malachim, that's something we know, that's Baruch Shem Kivod Malchusel Le'olam Va'en, 
right? And he... And he, oh, he's, ex, okay, he's explaining, has to do with the different levels of the malachim, seven levels of malachim, so he's saying, well, I'll go down seven times the three, okay. Okay, so now he's going to try and reconcile these two ideas, because on the one hand, it appears to be that the Jewish people can say Hashem's name in, in fewer words, after fewer words than malachim, whatever that means, like, what, what's the significance of that? Me, where do we see that he waited 20 <coughs> words? This is a sifri. It's a sifri. No, with, uh, well, it's based on Kishem Hashem Akrahavu So it probably is, if I would go and check those words more carefully, we could probably see the full sifri, which I'm happy to do. I can't do it right after class, but I could do it later in the afternoon if you wanted to come over. We could, we could look and like look at the sifri, look at the psukim, and see if we could see. We might not see. It takes it somehow from a pasuk. It, yeah, it's based on a pasuk, and it must be based on the placement of the pasuk. Okay. So how can we reckon? Did you get a ticket? No. Okay. No, I didn't. It starts at 10, I understand. Oh, it so depends where our block it starts at 9. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. So we had the conflicting, the conflicting uh, source was a Sifri who said that Moshe learned from the Malachim who say three words and then God's name. And he said, well, I must be at least seven times lower than that. Therefore, I'll say 21 words first. So which is it? Is it that we say it after two words, or is it that we say it after 21 words? And how does that compare to the malachim? Okay. Now he says, perhaps we could understand this. If we look, it's brought in several, several different places. He quotes a nefesh hachayim. There are indications of this even within the Rashi's in Bereshis, which is the, the argument, is a person greater than a malach, or is a malach greater than a person? It's not clear. Which is it? So I think we would say, well, the quick answer is, when a person is really using their full humanity, they're even greater than a malach. When they're not, then they're much lower than a malach. Okay, but let's see. He says, both sides of this disagreement bring various proofs from explicit verses in the Torah. And the Nefesh HaChayim says, that the malachim, in their plane, they have more seichel, they have more intellect mm -hmm. than people do, than the level that people get to. Now, it's interesting because I had not seen, we knew that there was at the level of, I have actually one of those, uh, one of those pages here. We knew that there's a connection between, oh, there it is, between the level, between the level of Shema, which is at the level of Yitzhi, of Bria, which is the world of the Malachim. And we know that the Avoda of Shema is with the Seichel, or the intellect. But this was actually the first time I'd seen a source that was saying that one of the characteristics of the Malachim is the Seichel which helps to put just one more piece of the puzzle together, why the avoda at that level is an avoda of secha. Okay, I don't know why malochim specifically are related to secha. Okay. So they are on a higher level than man when it comes to secha. However, people can act using their thought, which is not as high level a thought as a malach, 
but they can combine thought, speech, and action all into one thing. Now, if we can combine our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, our speech together, then what we're doing is we're having an impact on multiple levels of the universe simultaneously because we're affecting the world of Asiya through our action. We're affecting, he brings over here about the speech. The speech is really, tends to have an impact more in the higher world. We have the machshava in the world of the malachim. We have the emotions on the level of the yitzira, of the, yeah, of the yitzira. So each of these things, when we're using them, is actually having an impact, making a roshem, an imprint, on the worlds that it's associated with. That is the interface. That, that aspect of humanity is that we can affect multiple worlds with our actions and with our choices. Whereas the Malach is essentially in its world, and that's a world of Seichel, and it can have an impact on the physical world. But there isn't the simultaneity, there isn't the ability to kind of have the unification of the world, which is what a person can do. And if you'll remember, way, way back when, when we started talking about tefillah, and why are people created, which is to bond the upper worlds and the lower worlds. And what is the special characteristic of humans? It's deavadibor. It's the intellect to process and the speech to be able to convey it. And so the tefillah, which is the dibor, and the dea, which is the Torah, which is the learning it and being able to express. And through this, we're able to unify the upper and lower worlds. Like Yaakov with his dream, where he sees the ladder that reaches to the bottom and it reaches to the top. A malach can't do that. That's a human. That's what people can do. And to the good and to the bad, humans oh, yeah. have choice. Yeah. Which makes life very difficult. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. Yes. So the choice, uh, this choice adds a different aspect. Okay. So he says, if we look at this, if we take this Nefesh HaChayim, who's talking about the fact that Malachim can be greater in Seichel, but people have a greatness of impacting multiple worlds at once, he says, perhaps with this we can reconcile the apparent contradiction between the Sifri and the Gemara in Chulim, where one seems to be saying that the Malachim are greater and one seems to be saying that the people are greater, specifically in the area of how many words before you can say God's name. He says, Mitzad etzem hamala, when it, with the inherent level, so malachim are certainly at a higher level, and they have far greater capacity for intellect than understanding. So we can understand why Moshe would say that he would be satisfied to be like one, one seventh of a malach. Like, I don't know, I think I would be sat, very satisfied. But, <laughs> right? but he says, like, we could understand how that would, that would already be a very, very high level. But the Gemara didn't say the Jewish people are sharper than Malachim or have more insight than Malachim. The Gemara in Chulin said the Jewish people are more beloved than Malachim, which is not the same thing. Why? The love means the closeness. And because we, when we say Shema Yisrael, which is a function at the level of Malachim, 
we combine it with love and we build it on the levels below. We started with brachos, which was the goof, and we worked up to psuke de zimra, which was the level of the emotions. So by the time we get to shema, and we're saying shema with love because it's built up on the emotions as well, so there's a level of closeness that we can achieve. From there, we can spring forward. That's why this is transitioning to Shmona Esrei, towards atzilus, towards nearness to God. That's something that a malach doesn't do. And that comes from building the foundation below and then building up and connecting at all the levels at once. That's what gives us the ability to reach the fourth level, is the binding together. And that is because of the love. The, um, okay. Now, there's one last point that I want to make on the topic of MSV Atsiv, which is the, the halacha of smichus geula letfila. So this technically could be seen as either a closing of Shema or a beginning of Shemona Esrei, not just because it's a transition, but because, okay. So the rule is that we have a smichus, a connection between geula, the bracha of Baruch Atah Hashem Go'al Yisrael, and tefillah, the Shemona Esrei. And to the extent that it's not to be interrupted, even by saying amen to Go'al Yisrael. So the chazan lowers his voice at the end, Baruch Atah Hashem Go'al Yisrael, and says very quietly so nobody will say amen to it. It's ideal if you can time it so that you say the bracha when he says the bracha, so there's no need to be... There's no question that you should be saying amen, they should be connected. In fact, the, the Gemara says, Ezehu ben olam haba. Who is a ben olam haba? A ben olam haba means someone whose dwelling place, whose home is olam haba. Who's a person whose true home is an olam haba? Hasomech geula letfila. One who attaches or leans their geula to their tfila. You got to attach your, uh, I can't just call it the third level out of old habit, right? The second level to the first level <laughs> direction that we're going. You have to attach them. And attaching them makes a person a ben olam haba. Rabbi Reisman quotes a Rashi who said, where he said, but I don't know where it is. He says, how do you compare the connection of geula to tefillah? It's like somebody, if you interrupt there, it's as if you knocked on the door, but you never went in. You made the bracha go al Yisrael, and you never went in. Even though it doesn't say somebody who didn't say Shemona Esrei. It's just the interruption from the Shemona Esrei. It breaks down that connection, whatever that on-ramp is, from MS Vyatsiv that takes you to Gaal Yisrael and, and can slide you up into a Shmona Esrei completely till the world of Atsilus. It's like you you got you stood next to the on-ramp, maybe, <laughs> so you can't quite get on the freeway. And he said that that makes a person <clears throat> I can cough. A ben olam haba, in the same way as we would say someone is a ben Torah or a ben Eretz Yisrael, that your home is actually there. Okay. 
So what do we get from this? I don't know if you remember way back when, but when it came to Shema, there was a statement, I think that Rashi brought it over there. I'm looking to see if I, if I sourced. Yeah, is the Rashi on, I will bring rain in its correct time. You do the mitzvos, I'll bring the rain. Rashi says, you do, asise masha aleichem, you did what you had to do. You do your job, I'll do my job. Remember that one? You do your job, I'll do my job. This is similar to the relationship between Shema and Shemona Esrei. Shema is you do your job. Shemona Esrei is Hashem says, I'll do my job. This is brought, actually, I, I have it here going into Shemona Esrei. Um, the Mesilas Yesharim. I don't think I can find it quickly enough. The Mesilas Yesharim says that this, this aspect of, in the davening is that first you make a hishtadlus, first you work on it, later it's a gift. First you work on it, later it's a gift. And this is the same idea. We do this work on it, it's not that we don't work on Shemona Esrei, we do. But what happens in Shemona Esrei is not our work. We put our work in. What happens in Shemona Esrei is Hashem's influence to us. There becomes there the nearness, the closeness, that we do this work. And that is the pity of the interruption. You don't want to put an interruption. You don't want to have a barrier between all the work you've done to draw close to Hashem and Hashem's reaction to draw close to you. We don't want to put any divider in there. Our effort... Okay, Geula, this is very interesting. The Malbim says about a Pasuk, which Amber said I didn't realize existed. That's true of a lot of Pasukim, like all the time. There's a few different times where I said all of Tehillim. I'm still surprised by what's in Tehillim. It doesn't, <laughs> it's not like I noticed everything that was in Tehillim. So there's a Pasuk, which is familiar, the first half of it from Lechadodi. Karva el nafshi ge'ala, leman oivai pedeni. Okay, karva el nafshi ge'ala, which there's a few different ways to explain it. But what the Malbim says is, what you learn from that is Geula, the concept of Geula as redemption or salvation or being made free. Geula is a function of kurva, of relationship, which is why you have, for example, a Goel Hadam. This is sort of not a very pleasant example, right? A goel hadam is someone who's related to someone who was murdered, and the goel hadam is the person who would go and, and kill the murderer, basically, right? There's an unhappy job. It's like you didn't have enough trouble that somebody died, now you have to go and... It doesn't sound so nice. Okay, so a goel hadam is called a goel because he's a karov, because he's a close relative. So geula is actually a function of of a relationship, which again helps us understand why this bracha is here, Goal Yisrael, what we're evoking that Hashem is Goel us, that He redeems us, is that we have a close relationship. And that is part of helping us draw close to Hashem in the Shemona Esrei, where we seek to draw so close that we start to overlap with God 
we want our will to overlap with him and our essence to overlap with him, then that's the ultimate closeness. So the ge'ula, the, the expression of go'al Yisrael, is a way of pulling that nearness together. And in fact, the word tefillah, one of the roots of it, again, referring to way back when, one of the roots of tefillah is p'til, which is a twisted, like a wick, a strand, or tzitzis, hakanaf p'til t'cheles, right? It's something that's a single thread, but it's been twisted together from, small, from other threads, right? So they're fully intertwined. You'd be hard put to identify that this was one separate strand and that was another separate strand. That's what we're trying to achieve in tefillah. Tefillah is really the term for Shmona Esrei. What our goal is, it's, it's somewhat our goal, I mean, where we're hoping to get to, what, what tefillah can accomplish is to cause us to be intertwined with Hashem. And this is, this is from the Lashon. Rashi brings it in Bereshis, Anaftuli Elohim Naftaltani, Naftalti. That the name Naftali is from the word tefillah, which is a word meaning to connect or to intertwine. And in other words, to create a single identity out of what, a merged identity, a merged identity, which is where we're headed. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to that. But yes, that's a good example of it. That the beginning of Shmona Esrei, we say Hashem, open my lips. There's a, a merging together of even who's the acted upon and who's the, the actor, <laughs> right? Who's doing and who's receiving. We're going to talk about that in more detail. Um, we have the notes for it. Okay, now another thing, and this is again just to remember something that we learned before. We learned in the past about the idea of Kaddish, right? Yiskadal v'yiskadash, the Kaddish. The purpose of a Kaddish is to be a vehicle to move from one world to another. That is why we say Kaddish in memory of someone who has passed away. It is to help them move from one world to another. And we have Kaddish between the different sections of the davening to help move us from one level to another. There is no Kaddish between Shema and Shemona Esrei. It seems to be that since Kriya Shema itself is at the level of the world of the Malachim, which is the world of Kedusha, of Kadosh, 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 that by, by working an avoda in the world of Shema, this creates the Kedusha. V'yisem Kedoshim le'lokechem, right? That's what we have at the end of Shema. You become Kedoshim le'lokechem. And perhaps this fulfills the role of the Kaddish without requiring a separate interruptive Kaddish between them. The Shema itself is a kind of a Kaddish. And in fact, if you think of the high point in Kaddish, is Yeheshme Rabba Mevarach Le'olam Le'ome Yamaya, that is essentially an Aramaic translation of Baruch Shein Kavod Malchus Le'olam Ve'ed. So there really is an identity between, there is an identity between Kriyashma and the Kaddish itself. Okay, there's another thing which we've, which we've indicated. And this, I think, ties in a little bit to, um, to what Rav David Cohen was saying about 
the malachim working in their world more strongly, more perfectly, and yet people being able to work at multiple worlds at once. So Rav Pincus has an essay talking about the difference between the malachim working in their world and what does it look like? So what would it look like if a person was, work, was somehow getting to the level of atzilus, this highest level? And there's an example of it. We've referenced it once or twice before. It's brought in Rus Rabbah, the Medrash on Rus, about Menashe, the king of Yehuda, who was exceedingly wicked before God. And when he was captured by the king of Ashur, they put him into a copper pot and they lit a flame under him. Right, we just came we just talked about this not so long ago again. Mm-hmm. Menasha cried out to all the Avodazaras in the world that they should save him, and obviously there was no effect. When he saw that nothing would help him at all, he suddenly remembered that his father <laughs> used to tell him if you're in trouble, cry out to God and he'll save you. His father was Chizkiyahu. He was a tremendously righteous person. Okay, but Menashe was not. He remembered, cry out, If you're in trouble, cry out and God will find you. For God is a merciful and mighty God. So he said, okay, I'll call out to him. All else has failed. The water is getting hotter He's out of Avodazaras. You know, people say they're in hot water. Or maybe that comes from Menashe. He was in hot water. And he had tried every Avodazara he could think of and was not able to get a response. So he said, I will call out to God if he saves me. He says, fine. If I cry out to God and he saves me, good. I didn't lose. And if he doesn't do anything for me, then what did I lose? It didn't cost me anything. And he's no different from any Avodazara. All the Avodazaras didn't answer. So what have I got to lose? Now, until now, apparently in his whole life, he felt there was something to lose. You realize that the fact that in his moment of desperation, he said, fine, what do I have to lose? Means that for the last, I was going to say 40 years, probably 40 years, he was a king for 40 years. For 40 years, he said, no, I will do anything but call out to God. It doesn't matter what happens. But now that his life was really on the line, he said, okay, I'll call out to God. <laughs> There's no, no atheists in potholes. At that moment, the Malachi Hashare stood and they blocked all the windows mm-hmm. that lead up high. All, all the, they would be, we'd call them doorways, but since they're going up, they're windows, right? What do they call those in submarines? You climb up through the hole to get to the next level. They blocked them. And they said to Hashem, Master of the universe, a person who put an idol in the base Hamikdash, you're going to accept his tshuva? And, and what kind of tshuva? <laughs> this is tshuva? You know, tshuva is, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I see they can't help me, but you really can't. No. This is, well, I have nothing to lose. You there? Anybody home? That's all he's saying. He didn't say much. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't make fun of him. He wasn't, <laughs> I don't know what he had to deal with, right? This. The Gemara says that one of the one of the Chachamim in the Gemara made fun of Menashe. And Menashe came to him in a dream and said, You don't know what you're talking about. And he asked him a question in Halacha, he didn't know. Menashe told him the answer. He said, Well, if you're such a Talmud Chacham, like how did you end up like that? He says, You don't know what it's like. You live in a time when there's no taiva for a Vodazara. 
You don't have any craving to do Avodah Zarah. So you don't know. You don't have any Yitzhahar for Avodah Zarah. Believe me, if you lived in my time, you'd be picking up your, the hem of your robe so you could run faster to worship idols. You just don't know what you're talking about. That's what he came and told him. So really, I guess we can't judge him, right? But certainly we could see that the situation he was in doesn't seem to be the most impressive. You know, if we compare it to some of his parents, right? His grandfather was Yeshaya, the prophet. Oh, boy. Right? It happens in the best of families. Okay. So they said, Master of the Universe, this person who put an idol into the temple, are you going to really accept him back with tshuva? Mm-hmm. And Hashem, it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> and Hashem answered them, if I don't accept him back with tshuva, then essentially what I've done is said that we will lock the gates to any Baal tshuva. Because if somebody's denying and fighting and arguing against God, then they are. So where are you going to draw the line? It's not only Menashe. So what did Hashem do? He drilled a hole under his throne of glory, which was a place where the Malachim have no power. He didn't interfere with the Malachim who were doing their job correctly in their world. But in the level of Kisei HaKavod, which is the level of Atzilus, he opened a special opening under his Kisei HaKavod. This is somewhere Malachim don't go, but the opening of Teshuva now does go. This is an astonishing piece of news that the Medrash told us, that there's a place we can get to, and we can get there through Teshuva, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. But if we would get it right, we can go straight through. There's a special opening that has no guards blocking it. And that is the path of Teshuvah to the Kisei HaKavo directly. Now, Rav Pincus rephrases the argument, the argument, the discussion between the Malachim and Hashem. And he says the argument is really, is Hashem all-powerful or not? Is he infinite or not? Because if we say there are some things which can't come before God, that's like saying that there's a limit to his chesed. There's a limit to his rachmanas, God forbid. We don't say such a thing. (laughs) Hashem says, if I don't open at least some hole, some pathway, there would be a contradiction to to God's reality. It's putting a limiter. Maybe that makes sense. It's from the Malachim, who are Kedusha, which is restraint. But the level of Atzilus and Kisei HaKavod is above the level of restraint. It is, at the, it is adjacent and receiving from the source of Hashem's chesed. Therefore, this, his chesed is limitless, and his world of Atzilus cannot be perfectly limited. There has to be an access. And so Hashem said, in order to accommodate within the, not only the physical world, but the, the universe of the spiritual and the physical that, that humanity is involved in, in order to accommodate every, the limitlessness of his chesed to us, even in a world where his chesed has been restrained in order to create it, there is a pathway called teshuva. And therefore, teshuva is associated with the infinite. 
Teshuva is a reaches to Kisei HaKavod, to the level of Atzilus, which is also associated with being in touch with the aspect of Ein Od Melvado. There is none other than Hashem, which tells you something about where Teshuva needs to bring you. Teshuva has to bring us to a place of there's nothing other than Hashem. So this is a topic that we will emerge <coughs> Hashem cover a little bit more as we go in towards Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Shemona Esrei and the infinite but we, we need to appreciate that there is something there is something unique about being a human and one of the things about being human is that because we have needs and because we turn to Hashem as the source of our needs and because we have troubles and we turn to Hashem as our redeemer from troubles, what that does is it connects us to Hashem as a limitless source of chesed. And this is another aspect of the, the vital necessity of connecting geula to tefillah. That is the bridge that allows us to get from where we are, wherever that is, to the level of tefillah, is the bonding together of geula to tefillah, of turning to Hashem as the source of our redemption and turning our, our imperfections. Are malachim more perfect than us? Definitely. But from the fact that we are imperfect, we daven, and through that tefillah, we have access to even a higher level than what the malachim have. We build from the lowest levels of who we are that's low, and that is what allows us to reach to something even higher. So, Emret Hashem, next week we will talk about Rosh Hashanah. Um, I hope that it will include some conversation about Shemona Esther, but I'm not promising. It's right into Rosh Hashanah. It does, anyway, yeah. Did you, are you meeting on Tuesdays still? Or? Yes, we started this week. You did start this week. Yes. Okay.